0: Hey, this is the Friends with Businesses podcast. In this episode, we talk with Charles Hunter, founder of The Salted Table, a business he started in 2015 as an in-home caterer and has since blossomed into quite the lifestyle business that creates in-home events all around Nashville, in addition to Charles's food writing. We talk with Charles about his love for food, his favorite places to eat, And what he sees for the future of his business.
1: We are back today with the Friends with Businesses podcast. I'm Elizabeth Yarbrough.
0: And I'm Blake Ermes.
1: And we're here today with Charles Hunter of The Salted Table. Thanks so much for being with us today, Charles.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
1: Of course. We can't wait to hear all about you. You and I go back a little ways, don't we? We We do. We met at Biscuit Love when we were both opening the first Biscuit Love Brick and Mortar. Is that right?
2: Yes, and the chaos of it all.
1: The chaos (laughs) of opening a brand new restaurant. Yeah, neither one of us is still (laughs) in that role right now, but we've gone on to do some new exciting things. So tell us just a little bit about your life pre-Biscuit love when I met you so before twenty fifteen. Um like where are you from? What was what was your life like earlier on?
2: So I grew, born and raised in East Tennessee, a uh, little city of Oak Ridge. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, save your glow of the dark jokes for afterwards. <laughs> uh- <laughs> um, That's right, because
1: there's What is it that's there, a nuclear power plant? Yes. Is that why, okay, got it. I get the joke now.
2: All the chemicals. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I grew up in Oak Ridge um, and cooking has just kind of always been a passion for me. Um, We were partially raised by my great grandmother and my grandmother because my parents worked full time. And so we were always eating. There was always food around. Um, my great-grandmother and grandmother lived in a duplex, so there was always something cooking on both sides of the house, and it's kind of that old cliche story of standing on the chair, licking the spoon, helping grandma make and bake all the things, Um and it was just, and we really, it was kind of interesting because we lived in suburbia, but it felt very almost rural and country because my sister and I, sometimes we'd get off the bus, and literally my grandmother would be out on the screen porch snapping beans or boiling a turtle or like breaking down deer carcass plucking chicken feathers it's just all kinds of random things and so we just spent a lot of time eating and cooking and always having family gatherings and traditional sunday supper um and that just kind of stuck with me um and then Kind of the abridged version is I met my wife while I was in culinary school. I went to the Real Maples Institute of Culinary Arts in Sevierville, um, and she was going to UT at the time. And we met through some mutual restaurant friends. Um, She got sick with aplastic anemia and they sent her to Vanderbilt um, for treatment. And we lived over here for a short stint um, over on El- in Elmington Park, and kind of fell in love with the city while we were here doing her treatment and decided to move back um, when once we had went back to Knoxville we' were like we really like Nashville, so why don't we just go back and your doctors are there, and we have to be there like every other week or several times a month um, and it was a re- it was it was a great choice for us because both of our careers were really welcomed and kind of took off. And I was working and I transferred over here with the Copper Cellar uh, Corporation, which is a lot of people are more familiar with, like Smoky Mountain Brewery and Calhoun's and Chesapeake's. That was the company I moved over here with, left them and went to 360 Bistro um, and did a short stint there. And then went to Manja, nashville which is the italian pop-up restaurant that took place in a meet and three in franklin and a few years ago they graduated into their own brick and mortar over in melrose and that was a really awesome experience i mean if you think of a 10 course italian feast and dancing in the middle There's not very many yeah. experiences of that nature <laughs> floating around.
1: I've seen that. I've never been. So now that you've endorsed it, I'll, I'm oh, going to check it it's out. It's
2: a lot of fun. If you love Italian food and you love having a good time and don't mind getting a little
0: uh, stripperous
2: <laughs> in a restaurant, <laughs> it's really fun.
0: Wait, um, so where is, this, where is this located?
2: It's in Melrose. Okay. Um, what's it called? It's
1: on Manda, Craighead.
2: Nashville. Yeah, I believe so. Manja Nashville. Yep.
1: Yeah, there's a, yeah, so Craighead, where now you, it kind of dumps you out right in front of the big new development with Holler and Dash, and there's like a poke place, and it's yeah. right there across the street.
0: Gotcha.
2: yeah.
1: Back it's, to you, Charles.
2: No, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool <laughs> restaurant concept. Uh, and then I went from there. Gosh, So the crazy thing about me is I love food, so I always have more than one job. I'm always working at like a couple <laughs> or a few restaurants <laughs> because I always loved, the, I always loved to have like one foot in the corporate world where it was like you know kind of like financially sound and safe, and you were promised X amount of hours and benefits. And then I always like to have one foot in the mom and pop restaurant world because there's a lot more creativity um, moving around in that space. And I like to be creative with food. So I've worked at quite a few restaurants in Nashville, but after leaving Manja, I went to Riff's Fine Street Food, which is a food truck now turned brick and mortar. And they're no longer Riff's Fine Street Food. They're now Funk Soul Brother. And they're the guys who do the awesome like sushi burritos and poke bowls and ramen and all the things of that nature really delicious stuff uh and then from there biscuit love with you elizabeth (laughs) and from biscuit love diving into this world of being on my own and here we are so here we
1: are so you started Right after your time at Biscuit Love, you went straight into starting up your own catering yeah, business. it then. was a
2: slow snowball of just a lot of, like, insecurity and trying to figure out, like, what is this I'm actually trying to do? What should it look like? How can I get people interested in it? In it? Do I need to brand it? And it started off with just having, like, a simple food blog. And already developing a following from just sharing what I was cooking at home with people. So I had already had a little bit of a following that way. And it was like, how do I convert this and turn it into a business model where I can actually tell my story through food, get people interested. And also, how do you even persuade strangers to invite you to come cook in their homes?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let me back up for one second and then have so many questions right now so when you were looking for your next venture how did you decide to go out on your own instead of finding a job in another restaurant like you had been doing
2: i i hit i hit that breaking point where i was like gosh i don't want to clock in for anybody else (laughs) I need to be I was like, I need to be done with it. And I saw where there were like other catering companies who were like offering to go into people's homes, you know, like big people's homes who had like the space and had like a butler's kitchen where, you know, you didn't see the quote unquote help kind of a thing. And I was like, there's gotta be there's gotta be more to that. There's gotta be a way to turn this into my version of personal chefing versus what that looks like from a full-blown catering perspective. Um, And it just kind of snowballed. It was like someone sent me an email saying, hey, can you, we thought it'd be fun to have someone cook for my wife's birthday or come over and do the food for a baby shower. And so it was like one thing and then two things and then four things and then five things. And it was like, well, Gosh, now I actually have to like be more serious about this and I have to set up pricing and I have to figure out how how I value myself and my time and what does that look like and what is my storytelling through food and what does my menu look like. It was a it was like it was kind of I feel like almost felt like every hour of the day I was trying to figure out something new because I was like, I have no idea, and I don't have any mentors or anyone to go to to figure out how to actually do this. So I have to like yeah. stumble and fall and get back up and figure it out. And hopefully, my clients are willing to figure it out with me.
1: So I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking at that time in 2015, I mean, I don't really know, was it common for to have a personal chef business to be able to just for a normal person like me, who doesn't have a mansion and a butler room or whatever you called it to just know, Hey, there's a personal chef that I could call for a special occasion. And maybe I, it's a reasonable, Service I could use for a party was that a normal thing five years ago? Or I didn't know
0: common?
2: anyone who I didn't know anyone who did it. I only knew catering companies who offered, you know, the cook it ahead, come to the house, it sits in a hot box, and then we break it out when guests arrive
0: kind mm-hmm.
2: of situation. I didn't know anyone who was walking into the home with their own pots and pans and mise en place food. And like actually cooking on people's stoves and serving it to them right in front of their eyes so i had to figure out what that looked like and i kind of felt like my clients also had to figure out what that looked like because there were some people who were like you know i was walking into these huge homes and the kitchens were pretty much display more or less for like Mm -hmm. you know like an architectural digest photo shoot so they Mm -hmm. didn't know how what to expect um, with me coming into their space and cooking and breaking out ingredients and spreading all over the place. So it was, it was on a, I feel like it was on a event by event learning basis that I was doing it. And I learned something new every person's house I went to because I learned that people are so vastly different. And some people love the fact that you're in the kitchen cooking and other people don't want you to get a splatter of grease on anything. (laughs) So it was it was interesting trying to figure it out and trying to figure out what did my demographic look like because even in the spectrum even on the spectrum of people who wanted this service, there were people who appreciated it more and more than others. There were people who kind of understood what I was trying to do food-wise, and there were other people who just wanted more or less a meal delivery kind of a setup. And I wanted to kind of push that clientele out and move more towards the people who were were appreciating the art behind the food preparation and the service that I wanted to offer.
1: Hmm. So back then at the beginning, did you see yourself more as a chef or more as a business owner or both?
2: I saw myself as a chef who was stumbling around trying to figure out what it meant to be a business owner. Good answer. Because, <laughs> That's like,
1: That's-
2: and I feel like I've, I've really learned through a lot of tumbling downhill of what it actually means to be a business owner, especially in the last three years as the business has really taken off because I'm like, man, there's so much administrative stuff that goes along with this. And now I have employees and what the heck does that mean? And like, how do I take care of these people and help them to feel valued and make them want to continue to invest spending their free time with me doing these in-home gatherings? And oh my gosh, W9 and 1099, what what is all this? You know, it's stuff you never had to think about. You just sat at home and waited
0: for your W two to hit the mailbox.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, constantly. Do, yeah. do you think you're good? Do you think you're good at doing the business administrative stuff, or do you not enjoy doing it at all?
2: I am not. I hate it. I am a creative
0: <laughs> to heart,
2: and I am I am still trying to clean the lines up on the administrative side, and I'm trying to pull my wife into it a little more this year, so I can kind of move some of it off my plate. I'm working one-on-one a lot better with an accountant, which I highly recommend anybody who wants to do something of the creative nature in this format, start out with an accountant. (laughs) Right. Don't try to do the numbers by yourself. It is a task and a half. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good
2: investment to make. Yes.
1: So you talked about where you are now and you've had a lot of growth the past few years. Tell us about, what that looks like. What are you doing now that you weren't doing in the beginning?
2: So now what helped us really transition into being able to do this full time to where I no longer had to have a side job or a nine to five is that we were able to get some meal prep clients. So it started out with six and now we're at 20. Um, And I've kind of capped it off there because meal prep for 20 people is quite the task. (laughs) Um, But it helped to fill in our weekdays. So I was like, oh, well, this is perfect because a lot of people aren't having in-home gatherings during the weekday. It's more of like Friday through Sunday. Um, And that kind of helped launch me into a full-time situation where I was able to actually be able to sustain having employees work for me more often and on a regular basis. It also gave me the freedom to be able to be a little more discerning about the events that I was able to choose because not everything, not everything that people send me emails for really fit the company and what we're trying to accomplish and, um, and just the way in which I want to be consistent with the product that we're putting out. Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) So by that, do you mean someone might, if they want you to just deliver a meal, that's something that you decide now that you don't have to do?
2: No, no. And I would have, I would have jumped at those things in the first year, just because it it was, I was trying to get off the ground and trying to be financially sound and secure. And I didn't understand my value then either. Like I was working for cheap, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just because I was excited. I was so excited about people just wanting to use the service and
0: mm-hmm. wanting
2: me to do anything for them. I was just dropping off, you know, like a dozen of cupcakes that wasn't even worth spending the two and a half hours on. And. <laughs> just all kinds of random things i feel like a lot of creators probably totally understand that because it's like you're just grabbing at anything you can get to say that you are officially
0: doing whatever it is you love to do or are passionate Mm -hmm. about so it sounded like it sounded like there was a need way before you even thought of the business idea because somebody came to you and said hey can you cook for me yeah and then yeah and then so how did it start from there and then what was the next step with getting more customers or or generating more leads
2: you know the beautiful thing about it is that it actually spread more word of mouth than it ever was me needing to advertise for it that was the great thing it was like once i found almost a kind of like niche demographic um they were telling their friends and their friends were telling their friends and then after you start do i started doing what i call the in-home gatherings after i started doing it well i have 15 i have an audience of 15 people here now getting ready to eat my food who are also potential clients and usually at the end of the meal i'd have at least three to four of those people asking for a business card and then i'm hearing from them next week and it was just that kind of a thing and i was like well i need to start sharing this content um via social media and then once that started happening and I would always ask clients, like, do you mind if I take pictures of the food if we have time? Do you mind if I take pictures of your tablescape, this kind of a thing? So you have to kind of paint the picture of what it is that you're doing for people. So people kind of want to be a part of that story or they want to enjoy that service as well. So I started sharing that content on Instagram, and that kind of took off too. And then I tell people all the time, I'm like, Share your content on social media platforms because someone's watching. (laughs) A potential client is out there watching, like you never know who's following you on social media. So a lot of my clients still come through Instagram. I probably have three to four DMs a week asking about, hey, are you free this date or this date? And I just direct them to my email and go from there. But a lot of my clientele has been built through Instagram.
0: Yeah, your your Instagram is beautiful. You have, you're, you're you. Lu- kind of lucky in a way, but you're also really good at what you do. But your stuff does so well on Instagram because it's beautiful. And then all the customers want to share that stuff out. So you have like this kind of like exponential growth on Instagram with your account. And it's been very successful. And I'm still scrolling back. I can't find your first post. <laughs> <laughs> it would take you a little while. <laughs> so many posts it's like a green so it like, sandwich or
1: something <laughs> yeah that's funny so charles it sounds like for you one of the business principles that was most powerful super simple but it was just narrowing in on the right customer just deciding who is it and going after the right people instead of going after everyone which is a mistake yeah. that a lot of us make especially in the beginning how long do you remember it taking you roughly to decide that you were going to be more selective and to work with a certain type of person who really saw what you were doing
2: it took me about a year i noticed it around six months and then it took me about a year to finally be like okay this is the transition this is what we're looking for now this is how we're going to operate moving forward um and once i found that demographic things became a lot easier because i wasn't trying i wasn't doing a whole lot of negotiating anymore um and i wasn't i wasn't compromising the quality of the product and i was able to shop at the grocery stores that i wanted to shop at and I could make less trips to places to procure the things that I needed. So that was one of the best decisions I made when I decided just to kind of hone in on a certain client.
1: Okay, makes sense. Yeah, you can streamline things. Yeah. So a follow-up question to that, what would you say – you've talked a lot about what you value and the type of business that you want to be in – What are those things specifically that uh, really define your company and differentiate you? And how has that changed at all over the past five years?
2: So... In the beginning, the lines weren't very clean, and I, <laughs> we were, <laughs> we were all just. I was, I was just so happy to be able to like send out a text and grab some of my friends to go like make these things happen for people. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the value in having like a uniform and like just being consistent and being like matching aprons and um, how to tackle breaking groceries down at someone's house and how we appear to guests as they're moving around the area. So it was a lot of those things and fine tuning, um, kind of our aesthetic and what I wanted us to look like and deliver and how we were going to be consistent. Um, And then I think over time, just through doing some research, um, I realized that i was needing to focus more on the experience itself and, and what i wanted to do was make it a lot easier for the host slash hostess to entertain and to have people in their home and it not be stressful so i didn't want them to have to do anything except book us to take care of it so we took care of their rental dishes um we um cleaned their kitchen, looked better than it did when we arrived. Um, we took care of the serving and the bartending and they literally just got to enjoy their guests, which I realized was lacking in the beginning when I didn't realize that, Oh, I need more staffing. Oh, I need to offer this. I need to offer this part of the service um, because I still would see guests um, host trying to scramble around to do things before guests arrived and then their guests would get there and they'd have their guests do something. And I was like, oh, so this needs to be a little more all encompassing and we need to take care of all aspects of the event. So the people who are entertaining are simply enjoying time spent with their guests and not focused on anything else, except for the execution of the evening and maybe working with us one-on-one to talk about time.
1: Wow. So that's huge. So you're not really selling food anymore. You're selling
2: an experience,
1: less stress, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're posting for less stress, which is huge. Yes. I never really saw that value before listening to you explain it.
2: So it's really comforting to be like, to come to the end of it a gathering and for the client to come to us who a lot of them have turned into friends. I've been, I have been—I have people I've been cooking for for like four to five years now, which is re- it really blows my mind sometimes to think about it because I've seen people go through several different stages of life. Um, but to have them come to you at the end of the event and be like, this was the best experience ever. Thank you so much. I finally got to talk to people who came in from out of town and spend time with them versus running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, trying to focus in on all the details of making sure the evening was perfect. Thank you for taking care of that for us. And it's like now we walk into people's homes and you kind of learn how people operate and it's just become a, a lot more seamless. So like just being able to walk in and go to the cabinets and pull out the glasses and pull out the linen napkins and pull out the silverware and set the table and start cooking slowly in the background with other st- with other team members and just like making the whole evening just like flawlessly come together is really just a fun experience
0: sounds like so it. it is that the majority of your business is recurring customers or are you accepting new customers or do you have a lot oh no we have people? new we have new customers all the time but
2: we mm-hmm. over the last especially over the last two and a half maybe even three years we have a very consistent client base who enjoys entertaining and we yeah. see their homes quite often. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's
1: great. What are the next steps for the salted table?
2: So, I am dabbling in the freelance writing world, um, just trying to navigate those waters, doing a lot of Research and figuring out what it looks like to pitch something to an editor. And um, I've already got a couple of publications that I write for, and it's been a really fun experience. And I love, I still love the food blogging aspect of what I originally started doing. So I love food photography, and I love writing about food and sharing my story and my perspective on food. So I'm dabbling in the food writing world. Um, and then I think eventually we'll do like some mm-hmm. some merchandising or like um a signature kind of a kitchen line where I want to work with Morgan, as you know, a handmade studio, and a couple of other ceramicists who make really beautiful products and um, try to get that into some people's homes because i have I just have a lot of mm-hmm. ideas and ways to make the dining experience a lot easier.
1: Cool. So adding some different streams yeah, in there. Yeah. That's really cool. Blake, any other questions from you? I just I, have I one know, more. Yeah,
0: I, have, I have a couple questions, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So you're obviously a really um, seasoned chef. And do you eat out in Nashville? And what is one of your favorite restaurants in Nashville?
2: Oh, my gosh. Over oh, Since Nashville's <laughs> crazy growth, Especially in the food world, um, we don't eat out nearly as much as I would actually like to, and I do a good amount of cooking at home. But we are creatures of habit, so <laughs> <laughs> we continue to go back to the same. Once you, it's like one of those things. Like once you find a really good place to eat, it's like I'm nervous to go eat anywhere else, right. even if it is right. like yeah. the buzz of the moment. So we are city house people. We are marché artisan foods. <sighs> um. I like Lachlan Table, Moss um, Tacos. Um, let's see. Where Donuts. Is
0: City, is City House in Germantown or where? It is in
2: Germantown. Blake,
0: okay. I, how long have you lived here, Blake? I'm a little, <laughs> a little uh, confused I, that you I, don't know about City House. <laughs> okay, so I actually live next door to Germantown. I walk past City House nearly every night. So I'm familiar with it. I've never been though. I've never been to Manel's, never been to City House. So uh, Elizabeth I live need in, you to yeah. work on this. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> yep.
1: You gotta I've try it. Here. There's so many I've options.
0: There are. I've been here for six years and they keep, like you said, they keep popping up. And now I've, it's I've been Whole, I've been to Whole Foods, the new one on Broadway, like seven times in the past four days. So I'm a creature of habit too, but there's just so many, <laughs> so many options.
2: You know, someone needs to cut someone needs to um Comprise a like iconic Nashville restaurant list.
1: Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So, because all those places you mentioned would be on it.
2: Yeah, and it makes me nervous too that so many good ones have already like disappeared.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love Marché too, and listening to you talk about Marché reminded me, I'm from Nashville, and so Marché really introduced me to the whole farm to table and eating Uh seasonally because i didn't i mean we didn't that was not a thing at least to me in my world when i was younger it was like what like the menu changes three or four times a year why why but i remember stumbling on Marché and just being like this is awesome (laughs) <laughs> like, why would you not eat this yeah, way? Yeah, they
2: do course. it really well. They do it yeah, really well. Yeah, and they
1: have for so long. It, Yeah, it is still, still one of my favorite places, too. So many others just can't compare.
2: And it's funny because coming from a different perspective, like the whole farm to table thing, when it became popular, like in my 20s, I was like, that's weird. We've been eating that way my whole life. Right. Yeah. So I was like, "This is interesting that people think like stuff coming from the farm or like Mm. fresh food is like is like a movement."
1: But you also said you're eating turtles and some other things that are very uncommon. So it sounds like you're just used to a a wide variety. This is
2: true. If you didn't grow up in the country, I guess this is very true.
1: I have eaten turtle one time, and it was fun. I like trying new things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Charles, last question. How do you define success?
2: I define I define success. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of different ways I can look at it, but I think the main thing is, is that I enjoy going to work. I, it's, and it's weird when, it's, I find it weird when people say that like when you find something that you enjoy, it's no longer work. No, it's work and it's a lot of work and it never stops being less work. But I enjoy learning new things and I enjoy the fact that I've been able to create something that I'm really passionate about and I see myself doing lifelong and I have no and I have no regrets about and I'm not I'm not in a negative headspace wondering when will it be over. Um So I think that's my definition of success when it comes to um, the Salted Table Company. And just knowing that there are people who thoroughly enjoy what it is that we offer and they continue to come back and they continue to tell other people about it.
1: And where can we find you online?
2: You can find find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the Mm -hmm. handles are the same, at The Salted Table sharing food stories and whimsical things of all sorts <laughs>
1: <laughs> and your website the salted, the
2: salted
1: okay well thanks for being with us today charles really appreciate hearing so much more about your business
2: thanks elizabeth and blake for having me on i really enjoyed it thank you